What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we do over at thepeterplank.com and make sure you're following us on Twitter at thepeterplank, at Locked On Bucks, at jyarko underscore bucks, and at dh82 underscore bucks. On the last episode, we got into a conversation about Jason Light's interview with Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, and we focused on the offensive side of the ball. There were some comments made by general manager Jason Light regarding the future of Doug Martin, the play, and, and kind of the disappointment of Deshaun Jackson in his first season with the Buccaneers. And today, we are going to focus on the defensive side of the ball. And Jason Light made some comments regarding the coaching staff, who, of course, all the assistants had their options picked up for the 2018 season. However, Jason Light threw in that caveat of there still may be some quote-unquote tweaks but he of course came to the defense of defensive coordinator mike smith and david you wrote about this at the pewter plank um regarding jason light's comments about mike smith and and before we dive into the defensive conversation how about you kind of let us know you know what what your takeaway was and and kind of what jason light had to say about uh defense coordinator mike smith Right. So as you said, Jason said a lot of things to to Rick Stroud over there. And it was a really, really good, good article and, and good to hear what Jason thought about the season and kind of some initial thoughts, you know, moving forward. He didn't really give a whole lot away, but kind of hinted at some things. And really, as I as I what as I put in the beginning of the article is is he really kind of pointed to injuries throughout throughout the team and in some incredibly key positions, you know, the lack of the pass rush, really Noah Smith and, and Jack Smith. No, Spence, sorry, and Jack Smith were expected to be kind of the two biggest catalysts for the pass rush in 2017. And unfortunately for Jaquise, he kept he continued with his injury struggles, which took him off the field his entire career with the Buccaneers. And, you know, it, it essentially was a straw that broke the camel's back. After that injury, the Bucs just kind of had to part ways with him. Uh, he got picked up by the Lions for for a short period of time. And I don't I don't think he ever signed with another team after that. Hopefully, you know, he can get healthy because he's definitely got talent and Bucks fans who saw him on the field, you know, could see that talent. And and then Noah Spence, of course, you know, he, we all know that he's got potential, uh, lots of it, you know, loads of it, uh, had it not been for his, his uh, issues in college and his dismissal from Ohio state probably would have been a first round draft pick. So a lot of talent there played through a shoulder injury in his rookie season last year. And that rookie in there, that shoulder injury kind of uh, reared its ugly head again. And unfortunately he didn't really get a sophomore season. So, you know, when when you when you lose the, the top two guys, you're expecting to really spark your pass rush. That's you know obviously that's that caused problems and it, and it caused more than perhaps anybody expected. But you know he kind of pointed to that as the catalyst for the failure in the pass rush. Um, he also then talked about you know how the defense did have its moments and and many people have talked about those last four or three weeks of the season rather against those divisional opponents. You know. Uh, I don't have it in front of me how many points exactly were scored against them, but those were all close games, even the ones they lost. And, of course, they beat the Saints. And two of the touchdowns scored in those games were on special teams. So, you know, you don't you don't hold those points against the defense in that situation. So the, the defense definitely showed up towards the end of the year, um, despite still having, you know, banged up players like Gerald McCoy, even though he was out there, was still hurt with that bicep injury. You know, Levante had been playing with injuries all season long. You know, Quan had been out for for an earlier part of the year. Uh, Vernon Hargraves was out for those three games. So, 
despite the 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 heavy heavy dose of injury suffered by the defense he basically tried to point to those good times and said you know there were enough good times and enough injuries to kind of give them as an organization the confidence that uh this season could be the anomaly so you know to to give them that third year and he pointed to and tried to remind everybody that you know when 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 this defense did the same thing in 2016 where they didn't start off all that hot, but then they picked up steam and finished strong. Uh, a lot of Buccaneers fans, a lot of local media were really kind of anxious and nervous that Mike Smith was going to get poached by another team. And when that didn't happen and the team was able to keep him for this season, everybody was was loving him and everybody was applauding him, saying, oh, man, what an amazing you know thing to happen to see a, a defensive coordinator you know wanting to stay and the, the team being able to get him to stay and – and, you know, what a great year 2017 is going to be. I mean, Mike Smith staying is one of the things that helped spark some of the the hype that the team ended up having coming into the year. So and, and one of the things that he said towards the end of his conversation about Mike Smith was you don't just forget how to coach. And, you know, there's there's some truth to that. But I think the concern coming from everyone is, is he going to not so much relearn how to coach, but is he going to learn how to adjust things? And I said it before, you know. I saw more adjustments from the defensive side of the ball earlier in the season than I did on the offensive side of the ball. They didn't exactly always work, you know, but again, you've got cornerbacks like Ryan Smith out there playing. Justin Evans was a rookie and, and really took a little bit of time to get rolling. TJ Ward didn't, you know, didn't pan out the way that everybody expected. Keith Tandy, I don't know, like Keith Tandy, I mean, finished the regular season hot, was kind of expected to compete or be a legitimate contender, at least for that starting position. In this season, and just never—I don't know—like he, I kept waiting for him to to emerge, and instead, Chris Conte emerged, um, you know, which was still good, obviously, but you know, just just kind of an anomaly or kind of a weird thing going there. And then to lean on a third round rookie like Kendall Beckwith uh, as well at the linebacker position—I mean, it just goes on and on. Chris Baker, you know, everybody's talking about kind of the debacle that his first season was. If he gets another season, maybe his only season, but. There's a lot that went into the defense struggling, and he's he's essentially Mike Smith is getting credit from Jason Light, at least in the public eye, as having kind of that third. That's really this is their second chance because last year was considered a successful progression into a first year defensive system. So this is kind of their first strike, and this coming year will be their second chance if if you want to look at it that way. Um, you know, we can get into the coaching discussion. I, you know, I believe. The guys who say that the Glazers absolutely tried to get John Gruden to come in, and obviously if John Gruden's coming in, he's bringing in his guys, and Mike Smith's not here anyway. So it's still kind of a you're here, but you're not necessarily the the main people we wanted to dance with in 2018. You're just kind of the people that are better than the rest, and they don't want to get into those bidding wars and all that stuff. But bottom line, that's kind of what Jason Light pointed to was injuries and all that. And you know there have been some reactions to Jason's comments, but uh, I just kind of gave mine, which. You know, he, he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, there's there is some value to be said about the fact that that defense with a rookie and Justin Evans with Chris Conte playing a lot, who's, you know, largely considered probably a backup on most NFL rosters with uh, Ryan Smith and, and Robert McClain kind of kind of playing that corner position with Vernon Hargraves out a rookie at linebacker, no pass rush. The fact that defense was able to kind of stifle those offenses you know, three playoff caliber offenses, three offenses that can score at any given moment. 
does speak to some improvement and speaks to Mike Smith's ability to keep his unit together. And, and we've all given the Buccaneers credit for not quitting and fighting to the end. So kudos to him for that. However, this is two years in a row where it's okay. The end of the season, the defense really picked up and that's great. But what I wrote in there is, is eventually you got to start seeing this at the beginning of the season. Like there needs to be a year where that momentum and that knowledge and that, you know, that melding together of a defense that happened at the end of the previous season helped spark success in the beginning of the next season. That's not what we saw in 2017. We need to see it in 2018 or else I believe this team is going to start off uh, in a similar situation. Obviously we don't know the, the, the schedule yet, but you know, it's, it's not going to be an easy path next year uh, as it is. And, and there's, there's likely to be a couple of playoff contenders in the first five weeks of the schedule. So if this team starts off, you know, two and three, one and four, uh, and that defense struggles again early, nobody's going to want to hear, well, they picked it up at the end of 2018, just like they did at the end of 2017, just like they did at the end of 2016. Because it doesn't matter how you close when you can't open, uh, worth a crap. So that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, a lot of people seem to respond and mostly positive uh, responses. Actually, I can't really think of any negative responses, but I think pretty much everybody kind of has the same feeling of, you know, it's it's great that you closed out 2016 and 17 each with strong defensive performances, but that first three quarters of the season is as important as the last quarter of the season. Yeah, David, I, I think you nailed it, buddy. Uh, I I agree wholeheartedly in into kind of what you were uh, what you were selling there. Before we move on, David, there's something I need to let you know about. And I need to let you know about my bookie because the NFL playoffs are finally here. And I want to tell you and all of our listeners about mybookie.ag, the number one rated online sports book. With your fantasy football season over, the only way to use your sports knowledge to win cash is by betting at mybookie, the sports book that makes it easy to deposit and even easier to cash out your winnings fast. They have odds on everything. They have live betting, an all-new prop builder. You can create your own bet slips and bet how you want. You can bet from your desktop, your tablet, or on their world-class mobile site that lets you bet anytime, anywhere. MyBookie offers the fastest, no-hassle payouts when you win. David, let me ask you, bud. Uh, With 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter, of an NFC divisional matchup between the Saints and the Minnesota Vikings from their own 39-yard line, how much money would you have bet that the Minnesota Vikings were going to score a 61-yard touchdown and send the Saints marching on home? None dollars. None dollars? Because even if you were willing to bet $1, you could have done it at mybookie.ag. And then not (laughs) only would you have been dancing at the fact that the Saints were eliminated, and Sean Payton was sent crying home after he mocked all the Vikings fans because he's a jerk, you also would have made some cash. If you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. All you have to do is use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N when making your account. Visit mybookie.ag today and bet on the internet's favorite sports book where you play, you win, 
and you get paid. So here's my here's my question to you, David. Um, if you were going to go on mybookie.ag after we're done recording, who are you going to bet on to win the Super Bowl? The Vikings. The Viking. You think? Ooh, ooh, I like it. You think Jackson? I actually wrote it. Um, As you know, not all of our listeners know, but I started covering uh, pretty much anything I want to in the NFL outside of the Buccaneers for another website. Um, And I actually wrote in one of my playoff primers that uh, I kind of see the Vikings as a as a very very possible team to make history, not just by winning Super Bowl, obviously, but by being the first team to play in their home stadium in the Super Bowl and then obviously win. And you know why Minnesota has such a great chance at winning the Super Bowl? Uh, For me, it's defense. That is exactly why. It's the defense. It was something that I sat down with my eight-year-old and explained to him while the Saints-Vikings game was going on. Out of, and I, I told him, if the Vikings go on to win this game, you will have Case Keenum, Nick Foles and Blake Bortles as three of the four remaining quarterbacks. And I looked at him and I said, are those three of the four best quarterbacks in the NFL? And he laughed at me and said, "Uh, dad, you're ridiculous. And I said, so how would they have gotten to their conference championships? It's pretty simple. Minnesota has the number one scoring defense in football. Jacksonville has the number two scoring defense in football. The New England Patriots have the number five scoring defense in football. And the Philadelphia Eagles have the number four scoring defense. So you have four of the top five scoring defenses in the conference championships. Mm -hmm. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers tied for 22nd in the NFL in scoring defense. Yeah. Here's some other, here's some other things. They were dead last in yards per game. That's that whole Ben don't break thing, but they broke way too much. Mm-hmm. They allowed 378.1 yards per game. They had the fewest sacks in the NFL with 22. They were dead last in third down defense and allowed 48.1% of third down conversions to opposing offenses. Mm -hmm. So basically one out of every two third downs, the Bucs were giving it up. In one score games, the Buccaneers were three and seven. They allowed 13 touchdowns of 20 yards or more, and that does not include the back-to-back weeks of kickoff returns for touchdowns that were over 100 each. Mm -hmm. Against the Bills, they were up 27 to 20 with just over three minutes left. And they lost 30 to 27 against the Packers. They were up 20 to 17 with just over six minutes remaining. And they lost 26 to 20 in overtime against the Panthers. They led the entire fourth quarter. It was 19 to 15 and they lost 22 to 19. Yeah. That's the difference. That doesn't mean the offense is blameless in all of this, but when a defense is handed a lead, they don't keep it. When the defense needs to come up with a stop 
to get off the field and give the offense a chance in the fourth quarter, they can't stop them on third down and force a punt. There's no reason to have confidence in the defense when we kept seeing the same thing over and over and over. The quarterback knows that they're not going to get to him, so he has all day to pick apart the defense. It starts up front. We all know this. Everybody listening to the podcast knows that the biggest hole on this team is the pass rush, whether that's on the edge, whether that's up the middle. I don't care how you get to the quarterback. Get to the quarterback. And when you only have 22 sacks all season long, not good enough isn't even a good enough way of putting it. So, in your opinion, what do you make of the reasons behind, number one, the defensive struggles outside of pass rush? I mean, that's that's a slam dunk. And given the performance of this defense, is it on Mike Smith? Is it on Jason Light? for not loading up with more defensive linemen? Is it on Jay Hayes? You know, what What can Buccaneers fans point to in regards to why this defense was so just horrendous after being so good down the stretch in 2016? And I know we've gotten into that conversation on the Walking the Plank podcast that – the five-game win streak wasn't exactly as impressive as we all believed it to be at the time, mm-hmm. given the state of their competition. But, I mean, what do you – try to try to make sense of this for everyone. <clears throat> so the problem with conversation like this is we don't have all the information. And all the people – the only people that are really going to know the true answer are the people inside the locker rooms. The and the, and the organization, the Brent Grimes is of the world. Uh, so it's sure. Cheap. So for, for Jay Hayes, you can only coach what you have. And this kind of points to what Jason light was talking about and his justification for keeping Mike Smith, where, you know, Noah Spence and Jaquie Smith are supposed to be really, that was the Buccaneers pass rush. So when they're gone, you know, if you don't have a pass rusher on, on your roster anymore, you can't expect Jay Hayes to, to create a pass rusher out of guys who just aren't pass rushers. Like there's not really a big history in the NFL of guys coming out of college into the NFL as a run stopping specialist and turning into elite pass rushers. That's not really how this works. Um, you know, Vince Lombardi could come back, you know, from the dead and take over the Rutgers Scarlet Knight program. They're not winning the big 10 because at the end of the day, Vince Lombardi is going to be working with, the Rutgers roster. No offense to those those gentlemen there, but it is what it is. <clears throat> so can you put some blame on Jay Hayes? Of course you can because at the end of the day, that's his job. And if he were to try to escape that blame, it wouldn't look very good on him as a professional, right? Um, however, there's also a little chip you can throw in there of saying, well, here's why he gets a little bit of a pass because uh, the two guys that he was supposed to lean on to get a pass rush were not around because of injuries, right? Um, so right. we talk about Jason Light. So can Jason Light be blamed for not drafting more pass rushers or more aggressively signing pass rushers? Well, of course you can. 
However, again, this is this is another thing without being in the room and being in the in the building. You know, we don't know what happened. What if, what if Mike Smith sat there during the offseason and said, hey, Jason, weapons for Winston. Let's focus on the offense with what we did the end of the 2016 season. I got this over here. Give me a free agent or two here if you can. Find me a safety, which is why, you know, they went after J.J. Wilcox. Get me a big guy up front to take blocks away from Gerald McCoy, a la Chris Baker, and give me a linebacker somewhere in the middle of the draft. That's all I need. I got the rest. Well, if that's what happened, then can you really blame Jason Light? I mean, you can because it's his job to draft the roster. It's his job to build the roster. It's, it's, it's He's got the 53, right? So, of course, you can blame Jason Light, but if your coach, right, who's been doing this for, for decades, tells you, hey, I got it. If your head coach says, hey, he's got the defense, let's give our offense more weapons, um, there's, there's a back and forth here. There's got to be a back and forth here. Jason Light is not a coach. Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith are not scouts. They're not player personnel. They're not, you know, that's not their forte. These, these are two sides of the house. They got to work uh, and got they got to synchronize and they got to work together. And and we've mentioned this. I've mentioned this in, in previous podcasts. If there's not clear communication going on there and there's not accurate self scouting going on there, then that's where you're going to run into some of these problems. Where maybe Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter felt like they had better talent on the defense than they did. And when those key injuries happened, they realized real fast, but they realized post-draft, post-free agency period, that they didn't have what they thought they had. So, again, can you blame Jason Light? Of course you can because he's the guy making those decisions. But what's going on behind the closed doors? We don't know. So maybe so there's there's some extenuating circumstances, right? There's a legal, legal term for you. Um, the guy who pulled the trigger still pulled the trigger. But there might have been something that made them pull the trigger when they did and the way they did that we need to take into consideration, right? So there's arguments for both sides of that. Mike well, Smith. The, yep. Let me ju- jump in real quick, David, uh-huh. because this is something that Jason Light addressed. For those that, that didn't read uh, Rick Stroud's article, Jason Light addresses exactly this issue about how you know they they were relying on Noah Spence and they were relying <laughs> on Jacquee Smith or, and, and the injuries derailed that. Mm-hmm. And so the the question was asked, um, you know, basically why haven't you why haven't you drafted more defensive linemen? Yeah. And Jason Light said, "There's been a lot of defensive linemen that I liked and hoped to get. Yeah. It just didn't work out. Sometimes there's been guys without naming names. It's worked out. The pick that you've made because the player that went before you." or you wanted to take didn't work out and you're happy you got the player you took instead. Mm-hmm. So it can go both ways. You can't play the hindsight game too much. And that's something that, that I've been stressing is, is everyone who wants to, to, you know, look at things in hindsight and, and do this revisionist history yeah. mumbo jumbo and all that. Like how we had somebody tell us that, the Bucks should have passed on OJ Howard and drafted Alvin Kamara in the first round because, you know, we all knew Alvin Kamara was going to be what he was in the NFL if that was the case. Yeah. Everybody you know, knew Kareem that. Hunt. Why he got drafted when he did. Right. You know, otherwise, Kareem Hunt would have gone in the first round. Kamara would have gone in the first round. Um, you know, the you could go back in every draft and completely redo the entire thing. Was, right. you know, was Russell Wilson a, a, what, a third or fourth rounder? Uh, I think uh, third round, yeah. 
Yeah, Richard Sherman was a, a day three pick. Gronk mm-hmm. was a day two or a day three pick. Yeah, you, you go back to who was Cam Chancellor. Yeah. So I mean, you go back to these drafts. Quan Alexander would he go to the would he fall to the fourth round if if everyone knew he was going to play the way that he, that he does? Yeah. Shout out Quan Alexander on his first Pro Bowl appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sit there and say, "Oh, well, we should have done this. We should have done this. We should have done this." It's too late. The draft has already happened. Yeah. You know, people want to whine and cry and complain that the Bucks drafted OJ Howard at 19 overall. OJ Howard had a hell of a season. I'm excited yeah. that he's on and this football team. Those same fans are going to go buy his jersey when he's the best tight end in the league because he, if if injuries don't derail him, he's got the talent to become just that. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just because a player was drafted that you don't agree with or you think they should have gone with somebody else, that doesn't mean they weren't originally planning to. Right. You just don't know. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. those things happen. We We found out – during the season that the Bucks were trying to move up to draft Alvin Cook. The Vikings did it. The Buccaneers had to adjust. They took Justin Evans. Mm-hmm. So far, after one season, that's worked out okay for the Bucks. I and mean, he's no Dalvin Cook. Right. But he's a solid safety. He's much better than a lot of us believed that he was going to be. He's an exciting young player who's developing. All right. And not for nothing, I, I refresh my memory. Wasn't Dalvin Cook's injury a non-contact injury? Um, I believe so. Yeah, I, be- I believe it's a non-contact injury. And don't get me wrong, there's there's no way. I don't want to get into this, this, this exactly the habit we're talking about. But when you're talking about non-contact injuries, you're talking about a person whose body said, nope, not doing this anymore. Um, You know, it wasn't a freak accident. It wasn't a freak hit. It wasn't, a, you know, oh, well, that never would have happened in Tampa. It sure could have happened in Tampa. And, and if the Buccaneers draft O.J. Howard in the first round, they draft Alvin Cook in the second round, they don't get Chris Godwin because they're going defense in the third round. Um, so so we don't have Chris Godwin. Or and, they give and, up that third round pick to move up. Yeah, there you go. And you don't have Kendall Beckwith. You know what I mean? So right. the, the, whole, it, the whole thing changes. The whole dynamic changes. You're not just adding a player to what you have already. It, everything you change, that's why, uh, you know, I know Brent hates mock drafts. But that's why guys like me get into mock drafts because it's interesting. It's like a Rick and Morty situation, right? It's interesting to see how many different dimensions there are in the draft, uh, uh, the draft, I don't know, draftosphere, right? The draft atmosphere. And the draftosphere. I like that word. Wow. <laughs> Hashtag draftosphere. <laughs> but it's fun to see that and kind of see how does this Buccaneers roster look with every single different draft scenario that you have happen. And, um, you know, without Justin Evans, okay, without Justin Evans, what do we got? We got TJ Ward, Chris Conti, and Keith Tandy. Right, because JJ Wilcox even worse at that point. Yeah, JJ Wilcox had to go to get TJ Ward. That was part of the deal. So, uh, well, he got the, what they got the draft pick for for JJ, and then they got to use that draft pick to get TJ. Right, whatever it was, I don't know. But even if they keep JJ Wilcox, JJ Wilcox did not exactly blow things up this season. You know what I mean? Uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So don't don't get it twisted. Like if if Dalvin Cook is over there and he has the same non contact injury that he had in minnesota which is very likely because this is again this is just a grown man's body who said no i don't want to play anymore um then you're out dalvin cook for this year you still got oj howard out there you have no justin evans so you've got tj Warkey, Sandy, chris conte and i don't know uh not jb and ellie uh isaiah johnson right you got him back there playing safety. maybe ryan smith gets moved back to safety so then Vernon hargraves goes down 
Ryan Smith's playing safety. So now you got Robert McClain, who's in the slot, Jamie Elliott. You know what I mean? Like all of these things have repercussions and it's not exactly prettier. Like it's hard to believe that five and 11 may be the greenest side of the grass, but you can't just say, well, we should have grabbed Dalvin because look how, look how great he was for Minnesota before he got hurt. Well, yeah, but if you don't get Dalvin without sacrificing other things. Um, yeah, there was, there was a mock draft uh, that I read earlier today from NDTscouting.com uh, by Jonah Tolls, and, and he and I chatted briefly on Twitter. He uh, was surprised at my reaction to his pick, but you know, a lot of these mock drafts, we've seen Bradley Chubb going to the Colts, and you know, the PewterReport.com, our, our friends over there, they've done a couple of mock drafts. And they've had the Buccaneers taking Quentin Nelson, the the guard from Notre Dame. And in this particular one, you know, he has Browns go Sam Darnold. Giants go Josh Rosen. Colts go Bradley Chubb. Browns go Minka Fitzpatrick. Broncos go Josh Allen. Jets go with Baker Mayfield. And then at seven, they have the Bucs taking Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the first time I personally have seen Saquon Barkley uh, mock to the Bucks, yeah. And he he said that his explanation is he feels that that's pretty much the floor. Barkley won't get any farther past the Buccaneers if he falls to them because he is such a dynamic player. He would add such a huge boost to the offense. He would give Jameis a legitimate run threat out of the backfield, which is all true. I don't believe the Bucs would be in a situation where they can afford to take a running back that high. I think the smarter move in that particular scenario would be Nelson at guard. But, you know, you can, you can look at it and say, you know, this is how this one played out. You had four quarterbacks going in the top six. The best edge rusher is off the board. What if the Browns decide that – they just drafted a quarterback. Maybe they need to shore up their line, and they go Quentin Nelson. Now you have the ability to draft Fitzpatrick. It, it's it's so as you put it, the the draftosphere mm-hmm. is such a fun thing to to play with with scenarios and to see where you think the Buccaneers are going. Because although they have needs a defensive end, and they have needs a defensive tackle and corner and safety and running back and offensive line, you can't draft all of those in the first round no you know you have to react to what's going on you want to take the best player available in any given situation but the best player along the offensive line may not be as good as the best player at running back who may be three times better than the best player at you know defensive tackle you just don't know there's so many different options that when when a guy like Jason Light gets just completely shredded for some of his draft picks, you know, like drafting OJ Howard in the first round by these people, well, look at our defense. We should have gone, you know, with a corner. We should have gone with this. Should have blah, 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 blah. If you have needs and you have to fill them, you take whatever player is the best at any given position. You supplement your roster in free agency. You address needs in free agency. So when the draft rolls around, you put yourself in a position to have five, six, seven, eight, fifteen 15 options 
at any given moment. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. And by and large, Jason Light has done a really good job of that. He has misses like any other GM does. His free agency track record is not great. It's not. But you can't predict these things. You are signing a player based off of what he's done. You don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Sorry, I think I'm done with my tangent now. <laughs> no, but, but, you're, but you're spot on. And, and you know, a lot, a lot of things that happened in the draft, I mean, it really was going to boil down to his scouting and what the scouts report back to to Jason Light and what he sees and what the coaches see in some of these prospects because, you know, this the, it's been talked about. This is a pretty tr- deep running back class. Well, the deeper the running back class is, the less value the top running back carries because, you know, it, it comes back to a uh, uh, shout out to the scouting Academy. It comes back to draft capital, right? If you can, if you can spend, if you, if your choices are to spend a number seven overall pick on a sake on a, on a Saquon Barkley, a guy who's got a first round, a first round, uh, a grade, right? A first round grade. Right? right. And then you've got another running back with a, you got, let's say you got one running back with a uh, top 10 grade where, which is Saquon Barkley. And then you've got four running backs with first round grades and you're looking at the draft board and you're looking at the way that this thing figures to play out and you can spend a seventh, a seventh pick overall on a top 10 running back, or you can spend, what would they have? 39th pick in the second round. I don't have it in front of me. 39th or 40th pick somewhere around there. Right. Yeah. Or you can spend a 39th or 40th pick on a first round grade running back. Which one gives you the better return on your investment? Talking from a draft capital standpoint, that 39th, 40th pick to get a first round grade running back, that's the better return on investment. Whereas you have a guard with a top 10 grade and your next guard has a second round grade. You know what I mean? So now you take that guard with that top 10 grade in the first round and you don't have to worry about getting stuck at the 39th pick with a guard that's got a second round grade. I mean, yeah, you're great. You're getting a second round guy in the second round in, in the second round. But if you look at it, and that's, again, going back to mock drafts, right? If you can get two guys with first-round grades in your first and second-round pick, or you can get a guy with a first-round grade and a guy with a second-round pick in your first and second-round picks, which one are you going to go for? Like, If I tell you you can get two brand-new cars for your paycheck, for this paycheck, or you can take this other paycheck that pays more on the first pay- payday, but you're going to get a weak one on the second payday, which one are you going to take? I don't know. That's just kind of how, how sometimes this kind of thing boils down. Now, don't be wrong. There, there are certain hot button guys, you know, and that really depend, just depends on how much the team believes in them. Dalvin Cook wasn't a top button guy. Dalvin Cook was a first, first round grade, but he wasn't that no matter what, you know, uh, to quote Kevin Costner, you know, draft this guy no matter what, right? That wasn't Dalvin Cook for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2016. Or, yeah, 2016. 17, sorry. You know what I mean? But O.J. Howard... Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, was he was a hot button guy. If he is here, we're taking him, no questions asked. And the entire room agreed. Dalvin Cook was a first round graded running back. They probably had two or three first round grades on running backs. They all went Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. And then they probably had second round, third round grades on other guys. And and, and this is how this whole thing kind of boils down. Like you take Justin Evans in the second round, maybe you have a second round pick on or grade on him. Granted, you know what I mean? But then you look at guys like Obi Melifano and you look at other safeties that, that were on the board around that time. Maybe their scouts and their departments had 
third and fourth round grades on those guys. But then they look at Chris Godwin and they're like, well, Chris Godwin, we have with a second round grade. Justin Evans has a second round grade. Look how many wide receivers are still left on the board versus how many safeties are still on the board that we have second round grades on. There's only one safety with second round grade left. There's five wide receivers with second round grades. Okay, so let me get on the history. Okay, we get on the history and we look over the last 10 drafts, there have only been five wide receivers drafted between the second and third round. There's five ahead of Chris Godwin. So let's roll those dice and see if we can get a, a, a top five grade with our first round pick, a second round grade with our second round pick, and a second round grade on our third round pick. That's good drafting. You know what I mean? That's smart drafting is, is what that is. Um, yeah, we can throw Roberto Aguayo at you. Of course we can. We can throw uh, – who's the running back? Jeremy McNichols. Yeah, we can throw Jeremy McNichols at you. Does it suck that Jason like took Jeremy – or ended up getting stuck with Jeremy McNichols when he could have had, you know, even Marlon Mack. He, he showed some flashes with, with, with the Colts this year or Kareem Hunt or an Alvin Kamara. Of course it does. Yeah, without a doubt, right? But Kendall Beckwith, right, um, even when he got drafted, a lot of talk was this dude would have had much higher stock in the draft had he not gotten hurt there at the end of his last season with LSU. So if you're evaluating a guy pre-injury coming into the draft, and let's say Kendall Beckwith had a early, early third-round draft grade on him, right, then what you're looking at is a top-five guy, two second-round guys, and a third-round guy for a first round, second round, and two third round picks. That's what Jason Light just hauled in right there instead of all those running backs. But again, you know, and we talk about this. If they get Kareem Hunt, they don't get Kendall Beckwith. If they get uh, Alvin Kamara, they don't get Kendall Beckwith. You know what I mean? And take Kendall Beckwith out of the picture when Quan Alexander gets hurt. Or what is your linebacking group? Look like, look like exactly do it again when Levante gets hurt. What does your linebacker group look like? You're not happy with what you got, and you're losing those games. So, and I think honestly, I think that might be without putting words into his mouth because I don't know the man and I, I didn't have these conversations with him. By the way, shout out to Scott Reynolds for getting that clarification on Jason Light's words, even though I feel like it shouldn't have had to happen. But right. you know, credit to them for doing it because apparently it needed to happen for some people. If you look at the depth of the roster, and uh, by the way, shout out to Tom Jones, by the way, who got murdered for writing that Buccaneers fans need to pump their brakes about this team in preseason. Um, because if you look at the team, the depth just hasn't just wasn't there. You're not going to build depth everywhere in one season. You just can't do that in the, in the National Football League. If you build depth at running back by getting Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, you're not going to get depth at linebacker. If you get depth at wide receiver like they did, you're not going to get the depth at cornerback. If you're going to build depth at safety, like they did with Justin Evans, you're not going to get depth on the offensive line. You can't get depth everywhere when you don't have depth anywhere. So as, as a coaching staff, and as a team, what you got to do is you got to look at it and say, okay, where do we really need our depth? Well, coming into the season, pre-injuries, right? You have a defensive line of Robert Ayers, Chris Baker, because let's not all pretend we weren't excited when Chris Baker signed, myself included, yep. right? Robert Ayers, Chris Baker, Gerald McCoy, William Golson, Noah Spence, Chuckie Smith. Tell me that you need to draft an early defensive player or defensive line player with that depth chart. You don't. You don't right. need a day one or even a day two defensive player on your defensive line with that depth chart. Right now, two of those guys go down and one of them fizzles out. Yeah, of course you do. But that's for this year to handle because you can't do anything about that. Right. But you look at your linebacker group and you say you got Levante, David, Quan Alexander. Uh, man, I'm not even going to get all their names. 
You got Darius Glanton, who I really like. You got uh, Devontae Bond. Bond. I'm missing somebody. Uh, I apologize. Whoever I'm missing, I'm sorry, I'm missing you. But you got another guy <laughs> out there, right? So do you need to address the line? But that proves my point. Do you need to address your linebacker depth? Yeah, huh? Yeah. Because you can't even remember all their names. So, of course, you need to go get one, which they did. It went out and got Kendall Beckwith. Great stuff, right? Safety. You got Keith Tandy, Chris Conti, and J.J. Wilcox, who, I'm not even going to lie, wasn't even on my radar until he got signed. Right? Yep. Same here. So that's your depth. So do you need a safety? Yep, you sure do. Your wide receiver group. You got Mike Evans and you got Adam Humphreys. That's your wide receiver group. So you go out and you sign you a Deshaun, a Deshaun Jackson, but you know that you're going to need some depth because that's three guys. That means one injury. You're one injury away from, from the uh, same problem that they had in 2016 when it was Mike Evans and you know nothing else but else. undrafted free agents. Yeah, and you got Adam Humphreys okay. playing on the perimeter where he's lost. You know that right. Adam Humphreys is not built to play on the perimeter. So you signed Deshaun Jackson. You got Mike Evans. You got Adam Humphreys coming back. Great, but you're one injury away from Freddie Martino being a starting wide receiver. That, that's what you're at. So do you need to draft wide receivers? Yep, you sure do. Offensive line. You got you got Donovan Smith. You got Ali Marpet. You got Panful. You got, oh, man, uh, you got uh, Dotson. You got J.R. Sweezy coming back, who you hope is going to be something. You got Joe Hawley. You got Evan Smith. You got uh, Ben Anak, who showed a little bit of, a little bit of something, you know, uh, last year. You got uh, Wester, who I don't really like, but, hey, he's on the roster, right? You got a little bit of depth there, and you've got some experience playing second string that's the that's the big thing so not only that, that but you have guys that are cross-trained at other positions yeah. so that you're not hamstrung if one particular position gets hurt you have evan smith who can play center and right. guard you have ali marpet who can play center and guard right you know you have you have guys that can play across the line so mm-hmm. your depth is built within the core that you already have because so many of them can play so many positions. And if you need, and, and believe me, I was just as blown away as everybody else was when Dirk Cutter said that he believed Dawson's line was in the top half of the NFL. But if you need anything else on it, listen to the pewter cast. I don't remember which episode number it was, but go through their archives, find it, or go to the pewterplank.com tomorrow at noon and read Brent's uh, take at the offensive line. And he kind of provides some insight there. Now, did the offensive line live up to expectations this season? No. Okay, I got it. Did the defensive line? No, they didn't. Did the secondary? No, they didn't. Right? But when you look at what the team had coming into 2017, what they signed off the streets uh, in free agency or from other teams in free agency, you can see why the the picks fell the way that they did. Um, if If Doug Martin comes back and is a Pro Bowl caliber running back again, which he's shown he could be. I think the team is is well aware that they got duped. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't think Doug Martin sat back coming out of rehab in 2017 and said, Wahaha, I've got my money. Joke's on them. I, Doug Martin fully intended to come back and be a Pro Bowl running back. Like, he's just as disappointed as everybody else. Uh, you know, don't think Doug Martin's sitting back swimming in his money going, Ha, I got him. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not how this went down. But that's all hindsight. You can't draft off of hindsight. You can't, you can't like, it doesn't work where you're like, Hey, you know, the Buccaneers in the first round draft OJ Howard, unless Dalvin cook does really well in the first four weeks. And then they actually draft him you, you, like that. That's not how life works. Um, so it is what it is. Cause this, this season, right. You're probably going to see this team focus on the defensive line. You're going to see them focus on the offensive line. You're going to see them focus at corner. You're going to see a focus at running back. You probably will see all those things. 
Um, I still think they probably need to address some depth at the linebacker position, at the safety position, you know, with like fifth round picks, maybe six round picks, something like that, or some low, low price uh, free agents. But let me tell you something. They don't draft a safety in the first five rounds. And then they draft a sixth or seventh round guy who you're not expecting to make much of an impact outside of special teams in his rookie season. And then Justin Evans gets hurt in the first preseason game. Keith Tandy goes somewhere else because the team doesn't resign him. Chris Conte goes back to 2015, Chris Conte. And TJ Ward doesn't come back. And guess what Jason Light's about to get lit up for? Not bringing in safety talent. Right. You know what I mean? This the, everything, everything. Now don't be wrong. There, there's a there's is a limit. There is a line where, okay, Jason, okay, Mike, okay, Dirk. We you've had some bad luck. I got it. But perhaps you're making some of the luck. So we're gonna move on and we're gonna see if someone else's luck is a little bit better. Right? That happens in the NFL all the time. But let's not, you know. Do what you want, but I'm not going to sit here and say there's no reason this, this, the, the Jason Light drafted the players he drafted last year, signed the free agency signed last year, because obviously they didn't work and he should have seen it coming. No, he shouldn't have. Because guess what happens if Tom Brady gets hurt in the in uh, well, uh, I can't remember what week it was, but the week that they traded Jimmy Garoppolo to the San Francisco 49ers. Guess what happens if Tom Brady has a defensive lineman or offensive lineman inadvertently roll into his plant leg and tear his ACL to shreds? The Patriots suck. They're not going anywhere near the end of the playoffs. The Bills are probably division champs over there. And everybody is, is laughing at the Patriots because right now we all love to see the Patriots suffer. So everybody's laughing at the Patriots because they're the stupid idiots who traded Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo and left nothing behind Tom, Tom Brady. You know what I mean? So Julian Edelman would not be a serviceable backup? No. <laughs> he would not. But you know what I'm saying? Like – if the chips no, fall you, that way, you. if the chips fall that way, the Patriots are idiots. But because they didn't, and they're in the AFC Championship game for the hundredth time in the last ten years, um, they're geniuses, and they've got draft picks for next year. And Bill Belichick or whoever the head coach is for the Patriots, Josh McDaniels, is going to have a whole lot of draft picks to work with, and Brandon Cooks and a decent defense and and a, a fairly okay offense to build around another another quarterback. You know what I mean? So because of all the things, they look like geniuses, whereas Jason Light is being made out by some to not know what he's doing because his two best pass rushers both got hurt. You, you know, um, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, they let D'Angelo Williams go, and he, he was one of the best backups in the league for a couple of years there playing behind Lev Bell. If Lev Bell gets hurt and they can't bring D'Angelo Williams back because they play right up to the salary cap limit, guess what the Steelers are? They're stupid. They're dummies. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, man. They the Steelers don't draft Juju Smith Schuster, and he doesn't turn out to be a first round talent. And Antonio Brown goes down, and the Steelers miss the playoffs. And then guess what? The Steelers are they're dumb for not addressing their wide receiver problems. It, it's it's all hindsight, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, and the last thing that I'll I'll mention on it, David, before we wrap up, is. You also have to take into consideration, and a lot of people don't want to do it, is when Jason Light has missed on, you know, some of these draft picks, whether it's Aguayo or Kalen Clay or Kenny Britt or whoever you want to name, take a look at his draft his track record in undrafted free agency. It speaks mm-hmm. for itself. Cam Brait, Adam Humphreys, Boba Wilson. Um who I know I'm missing people. Yeah. Um uh, uh JV and Elliot. Yeah. 
you know, these are contributors on this team that he found as undrafted free agents. So for every miss that he has in the draft, he's got somebody else that he found who wasn't drafted to fill in. So take, take, take the Roberto Aguayo pick. This is the argument that I'll make. Is anybody upset at Jason Light if Cameron Brait is the second-round pick and Roberto Aguayo is the undrafted free agent who got cut after one season? No. So why does it matter where one of them was drafted as long as one of the two of them work? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Is anybody calling out Jason Light for drafting Kenny Britt when he also got Adam Humphreys? Is anybody upset if Adam Humphreys is a fourth-round pick and Kenny Britt was an undrafted free agent that got cut? No. Kenny Bell? Kenny Bell, thank you. Not Kenny oh, okay. Britt. I was wondering, like, Kenny Britt, like, did he? I was trying to think yes. of Kenny Britt's former teams. Like, did Jason Light work with it? Like, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Bell, I'm sorry. I'm just you're, you're good. I've, I've done worse, trust me. Well, you know, I'm that. angry. I'm just, I, I bet, uh, uh, oh man, I'm gonna do it again. Yeah, I'm not even gonna go there. Never mind, continue. <laughs> but anyway, is is anyone upset if if Adam Humphreys is a fourth round pick and Kenny Bell is you know an undrafted free agent who got cut? who never saw a single snap in the regular season. No, nobody cares. And Kenny, not for nothing, but Bell was a bust because of something you can't measure. That dude was scared. Yeah, he was. And who would have thought that a guy that laid out another player the way he did would be so scared of contact? Yeah. I mean, you look at Dexter Jackson. This isn't Jason Light, but you look at Dexter Jackson. Dexter Jackson in Appalachian State never ducked for anybody. You put him in the NFL and he ducked for everybody. So, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't, can't measure what's Yeah. Um, all right. Well, David, anything else before we wrap things up and get out of here? Because we ran a lot longer than we said we were going to. Yeah. I got kind of heated there on the team. Yeah, so did I. That's I just, why you know, I, I couldn't remember Kenny Bell's name, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> who, who can? Who cares? At the end of the day, you know, uh, <laughs> like, like we said it towards the end of the season, you either have a really good roster that didn't live up to expectations, a really good roster that didn't get coached up to expectations, or you have a terrible roster. And whatever that decision is or whatever that evaluation is, that's where the ownership needs to lie. That's where the decisions need to be made. And what this ownership group did was essentially say, at least to the public, that we have a roster that underperformed. Um, not necessarily due to anything more than injury, but that's what they believe is that there's a roster that underperformed and, you know, whether any of us uh, expected to see this coaching staff back, wanted to see this coaching staff back, they're back. And just like the Roberto Aguayo thing, like if you're hoping, if you're a Buccaneers fan and you're hoping that Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith prove the Glazers are stupid, then you're wishing for another bad season. And I don't know why you would do that if you're a fan of a team. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put on rainbow colored sunglasses, but uh, if the guys inside the building are saying that there are things to build on here, which every player in public has and, and the, and the GM is, and the Glazers have, you know, maybe, maybe we should believe them a little bit, um, you know, but yeah, we're not even, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do another episode on the whole 
wanting people to tell the truth and then getting mad at them when they do. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm with you again. When you're when you're rooting against your own team, just to be able to go into a Facebook group or to hop on Twitter or whatever and say, "Ha ha, I told you I was right." Maybe you're not really a fan that you thought you were. Right. Like I know, who, like who like roots for their exactly... team to fail. Yeah. In order to to try to prove themselves right, it just it doesn't make any sense. Like Chef is is not happy, and I and I know that, but I know that when training camp rolls around, preseason rolls around, 2018 kickoff weekend happens, he's hoping for a Bucks win. Of course, you know he's not hoping for a Bucks loss, and he's hoping just like you were hoping with Doug Martin last year. Like, please prove me wrong. You know what I mean? Please, by right. all by all things holy, prove me wrong. And so, so, you know, if you're that, but there are too many people that I've seen anyway out there saying this, you know, 2018 is going to suck and, and you'll see and da, 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 da. And I don't know, man, like, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to hear your, hear your gloating when you come back and say, I told you so, because, uh, that's not, I don't know. It's not the way I choose to follow football. I mean, that's, I, I still root for Illinois to win every Saturday, but I don't want Lovey Smith there anymore. And yeah. I still root for Ohio State, even though I'm not a fan of certain millionaires on that roster. You say roster? Yeah, we all knew that Ohio oh, State players organization. Were no, no, organization. no. Too late. You already you let the cat out of the bag. I did say. You heard roster. it here I first the on the, the Locked On Bucks Inside podcast. Information David Harrison, from a guy who has no access to the inside of that organization. <laughs> David Harrison confirms Buckeye players being paid. Yeah, the ten, the tens of my followers on Twitter are, are now on fire. And the tens of our listeners. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure that you're checking out everything that we're doing over at the pewterplank.com. Make sure that you're following our 40 teams in 40 days draft series. We're focusing on a different college every single day. Not just Florida State. Not just Florida State. For the love of God, there's more colleges than Florida State. But we're giving you the draft eligible seniors we're giving you the underclassmen that have declared we're giving you a senior to watch an underclassman to watch and how it pertains to the buccaneers tomorrow david what team do we have dropping well today what team do we have dropping uh on thursday um uh-huh yep uh, wisconsin that's what wisconsin. wisconsin all right yep. so day day 9 of our 40 teams in 40 days is going to feature the Wisconsin Badgers. And if you haven't caught the other eight teams, make sure you go back and you check all of those out as well as uh, Brent Allen of the pewter cast. He is uh, he has a offensive line piece dropping today on Thursday. So make sure that you check those out at the pewterplank.com and make sure that you're following us on Twitter at locked on bucks at the pewter plank. I am at J Yarko underscore bucks. And David is at DH 82 underscore bucks. Hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful Thursday, and thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.